0: And let's start with uh, verse 24 of John 20. And it reads as such. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Father, once again we want to thank Thank you and honor you and glorify your name this morning for the written word that's been grafted down on paper, Father, today. And these words of life are recorded so that we would have faith in your Son, Jesus. So, Father, I ask as always that you would, through your Spirit, that you would help us illuminate the grafted word on paper today. Allow it to become life to us. And Father, we know that there is a purpose in Thomas. As all, as your word says, all scripture is profitable to man. And Father, we know that you led John to record in history the events of Thomas, Father, for our good. And We thank you for that. And if you're in agreement, say Amen, and we all may be seated. I want to welcome you back again. As we're getting ready, we're closing up here on chapter 20, getting ready to finish the book of John. In a long journey, I, I'm. We don't. It's going to be awkward. I don't know what else to to preach from John has just been instilled so it's it's been a good journey I'm looking forward to to the last chapter and what the Spirit of God has recorded but you know that we went over chapter 19 20 21 22 up to 23 and we we saw how Jesus uh, basically at the end of chapter 23 we saw him roll up three gifts that he gave to his disciples and gave us as Christians to follow and that was peace, and that was purpose, and that was power, and we went over that, how Jesus had finally established the peace between man and God, how he unfolded their purpose and the commission that he gave them, and how he unfolded the power in which they were going to have the authority to continue on the message of salvation as he did through his disciples. So we see that. And we come up on, on verse 24 and we see this man named Thomas uh, come into the scene. In verse 24, let's listen and let's focus in on what happens here. He said, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with him when Jesus came. wasn't with him. He makes it a note to put that detail down that he wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into that mark of the nails, and not only that, but place my hand into his side, this is what he says, I will never believe. Didymus, the twin, there's not much known about him. Tried to dig it up, tried to find, and I found a lot of, uh, of, of suggestions, but the reality of it, we really don't know much of him, and, and we really don't know whose twin he actually was. There, there, is, there, there, there are suggestions, you know, from, we grab from Scripture, but really nothing solid on this man and whose twin he actually was. But, and that's another rabbit trail that we can get down but not for this morning. But we don't know much about him. We don't know much about this man, Thomas, but he's mentioned here again. But even specifically, and in context of what we're covering this morning, um, let alone know a little bit about his background, we especially don't know why um, he wasn't present with the brethren, because when, when Jesus came and met with the ten, he wasn't present. And Scripture doesn't specifically give us the detail in any of the Synoptic Gospels or even in Acts on why he wasn't there. But yet, John is led by the Spirit of God to make mention that he wasn't present. Okay, but if you dig into Thomas and this man and you look at him through Scripture, this is the most important thing that we can do as Christians, as as true stewards of God's Word, rightly dividing it, is to look at things systematically. Let's look at what this man Thomas. Where else is he mentioned in Scripture? What was he involved in? What did he do? What does the Scripture tell us about this man named named Thomas? So, from what we gather from 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 where he's mentioned throughout the, the Scriptures and throughout the Gospels, and he's mentioned in a few in in, in another book there. What we gather is that it's almost impossible, and it seems like everybody would agree, it's almost impossible to come to the conclusion that despite his loyal love that he had for Jesus, his devout love that he had, it was basically unbelief that caused his absence. Now how do we, how do we get that? How do we just grab that out of the air? And I think it's important because the Spirit of God has recorded this. And as we're going to see, he recorded this so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so every scripture, every word is profitable to man. So why is it important? Let's look at this. Thomas is mentioned in the Gospel of John in three different passages in scripture. We see John include him in in his writings of his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And on every occasion, we see a side of Thomas that explains a little bit on how we come to the conclusion that it was basically unbelief that caused his, him not being present on that first day. Every time that he's mentioned, he, we see and he's demonstrated this gloomy personality that he has. He was a man that always seemed to look at the darker side of things, as he was very pessimistic about things. We took, he always seemed to take despairing views on things, if I can say it like that. He took despairing views on what was going on in the present, and he took despairing views on what was being talked about about the future. But on the same note, with that same despairness, with that same pessimism that we see about Thomas, about always looking at the gloomy side of things, we also see that Thomas um, was one that for sure wasn't lacking in courage. He wasn't lacking in courage. He wasn't lacking in his loyalty and devotion uh, to the Savior. We know that. So where, where do we find this? We find his first appearance in the, in the Gospel of John in chapter 11. We saw him mentioned. And chapter 11, remember, was followed, when we, we read in chapter 10, remember that the Jewish leaders, Jesus was claiming, it was, it was the chapter in which he said, I, I am who I am. <laughs> that was it. I mean, that was the last straw. This man is out of control. So we read, we read in chapter 10 was the chapter that the Jewish leaders were, were going to kill Jesus right in the middle of the streets of Judea. They were going to kill the man for being, for claiming oneness with the Father. They, they were putting up with everything else, but him claiming to be not only in, in unity and oneness with God, but he claimed to be God himself. That was enough. And they went off and they were going to kill him right in the, in broad daylight in the streets of Judea. So telling that, we see, telling that, that chapter in chapter 10 that records all that, we see this man Thomas come up in chapter 11. Chapter 11 of the book of John, verse 7. John 11, verse 7, reads as this. He says, Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea, Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? So let's stop right there. We know that the disciples felt that, that it was life-threatening to their Savior to return. Jesus, what are you talking about? We, by the, by the, the hair of our skin, we barely escaped them murdering you, and you want to go back? Let's look a little closer at this scene now. Understand this. Jesus said, because their friend Lazarus was dead, he says, we've got to go back. Jesus, you don't understand. We, if we go back again, we're probably not going to make it out. So let's read on here. Verse 14 of John 11. He says, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Listen to that. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. Understand this. I'm going to save you a little bit of homework. The disciples, by the statement that Jesus made, for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. They, they had just escaped they weren't the Savior. They weren't God incarnate. They they weren't God in the flesh as Jesus. They had emotional feelings, and they uh, they didn't have a possess. They were still cloudy in all everything that was unfolding before them. You can imagine being in that situation where the Jewish leaders were getting ready to kill Jesus, and they somehow uh, miraculously escaped. We're never going back there again. And here's Jesus. We got to go back. And He says, "He said, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there." They got this confused. They got what Jesus was saying confused. Thank you, Pastor. uh, Confused by thinking that Jesus meant that if He would have stayed, He would have been dead also. Man, I'm glad that, I, you know, for your sake I wasn't there. Yeah, so are we, Jesus, because we wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. They got this confused. These are the thoughts that were going through their head. And let's look what happened here. Look what, when Jesus says we, we're going back, look at what Thomas' statement was in verse 16 of John 11. Same chapter. He says, so Thomas called a twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Let us go that we may die with him. This shows us the pessimistic characteristic of Thomas. This shows the courageous Thomas. This shows the characteristic of being very pessimistic and always looking at the darker side of things. Let us go. That's courageous. It's, understand it was for sure death. We're going to walk to our grave. Let us go. That's courageous. Let us go that we may die with him. That's the pessimistic side of this man, Thomas. Let us go. But I know that it's a for sure death. These words, now... It's recorded here, and these words are very important because they shed a little bit more light on the character of this disciple we know as Thomas, or the twin. First, we see that death was an object which filled his vision. They had a close encounter. They had many close encounters, and this was always in back of his mind. Was the death of his Lord. Even though Jesus had been proclaiming that he was going to die and rise again from the dead. Second, we know that these words indicate that he had an energetic nature for the Lord. He was very energetic. He was very loyal. Let us go. Man, I couldn't think of anyone else better to die with than our Lord. Let us go. We also know that these words exhibit a courage that this man had and his affection to his Christ, affection to his Lord. Let us go that we may die with him. Okay, we see this about the characteristic of Thomas. And the Lord announced, we see him again. Thomas resurfaces again in chapter 14. We covered it a, a months ago, last year sometime. Um, in chapter fourteen, the Lord mentions, it mentions him again. The Lord had a, just announced to his apostles, his, his apostles that in a little while he was going to leave them. Oh, yeah. uh, I've got to take off, and he, he's, he's telling them that I've, I've got to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. We we read a lot, and and we know that as a result of Jesus talking this way, uh, they were filled with sadness. Scripture tells us they were filled with sadness, and because of the grief that the Lord saw on their complexions and their faces. They didn't say it, but the Lord through the Spirit knew what they were thinking, and it had to be obvious on their reaction when he was talking about leaving them. Jesus told them, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Fellas, I'm leaving. Don't let your heart be troubled. We covered that. He assured them that he wasn't going to, that that he assured them that I'm going to my father's house and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back for you. Don't don't be dismayed. And we see in John chapter 14, look what happened here. In verse 3 it reads, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be, and you know the way where I am going. This was obvious reading back, us as Christians, we read back, it was obvious, you know the where I'm going, I'm right here. I am the life, I am the place. We know that now, but back then he's telling them, he's telling them, I'm going to go, I'm going to go prepare a place, and you know the way where I'm going. Thomas was the only one that was brave enough. Let me say it like this, Thomas was the only one that was honest enough to express his confusion in what the Lord had just told him. He was the only one that was going to be honest enough to say, Lord, I don't understand you. Lord, I don't know the way. He asked the question that everybody else wanted to ask. Look at verse 5. Of John fourteen, we're still in fourteen. Look what Thomas said here. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? I don't we don't know where you're going. What are you you're talking in all these riddles. We don't know. How can we know the way? We don't even know where you're going. We see once more this, this gloomy nature. Of Thomas and the courage that he had to verbalize his lack of understanding. He wasn't shy in expressing, I don't know. And I think, us as Christians, especially being established in the truth and getting the knowledge that we get from the Word of God that comes from this pulpit on a weekly basis, sometimes we can shy away from asking, The hard questions. I don't understand. I I don't know that. I, I have a little trouble with that. Thomas at the time spoke up. Thomas saw the departure of his Lord as the Lord was explaining to them. He saw this as the extinguishment of all their hope. How can you leave us? He saw that as the ending of their hope. You cannot leave us. And even though the others were thinking the same, we know it in the context of Scripture that it's written, even though they were thinking the same, Thomas was the only one who spoke up. This is what we know about this man, Thomas. And it's kind of a shame that Thomas has gotten the rap throughout history of being Doubting Thomas. And it's always been expressed in a negative view. What a rap, man. My God, poor Thomas, imagine if that was you. Your name would go stamped out through history as Doubting Thomas. What a rap that he got. But this man was a courageous man. We see the grace of God being bestowed upon this man, regardless of his season of unbelief. So, regardless of these disciples, of their uncertainty of what Jesus was telling them, and what Jesus was saying, we see our Lord in chapter 4 to respond graciously to them concerning the uncertainty of what he was explaining. He was gracious with them. He explained to them where he was going. He shared with them not to be dismayed. And we see the love of our Lord being shared there. So we come here now in chapter 20, and we see Thomas surface again in the Gospel of John in in verse 24. And it makes mention, as I said, that Thomas wasn't with the group when Jesus first appeared to them. So we must not overlook this detail that we see in Scripture that the Spirit gives John to record about this man, Thomas. So this is where we're at. Thomas was obviously, as the others were, brokenhearted. He was tore up, he was tore down, when he found the realities that his master was now dead. He was brokenhearted and depressed, as brokenhearted and depressed people do. What do they do? They most likely... Most oftentimes, none get away. They sh- shut themselves out. We see the disciples, when they see Thomas come back to them again, rush to him and give him the good news, which is a sign to us, as we covered a few Wednesdays ago, Isaiah covered, that it's our charge to... Care for one another, to encourage one another. They knew Thomas was in the condition that was he, he was in. He should have been with them, gathered together on that Sabbath, but he wasn't. We're always quick to judge and quick to say, where was brother so-and-so? Thank God we're not like this in this fellowship. We, I have seen fellowships that if you miss a service, you get the third degree when you show up the next time. they were there to embrace him they were there to love on him they were there to give him the great good news that jesus was alive he was broken hearted depressed he got away wasn't with them went off in his own you got to understand something about this man and he's probably there's probably a lot of thomases in this room here today When you run hard for a cause, when you're one that does something and you go all the way with it, you just get on something, man, you give it 100%. When you run hard for a cause and that cause, for some reason or another, um, appears to have been shattered, when you come across that, you fall and you fall hard. Thomas was devastated as the others were, no doubt. You see, you've got to understand, here is Thomas, along with the other disciples that scattered during his arrest and his crucifixion. When they were nailing Jesus to that cross, you, I, listen, his hopes, his dreams were being nailed to that cross. Thomas was the one that was courageous enough to say, let's go with him and die. He saw all of his hopes, all of his dreams being nailed to that cross. This can't be happening at any moment now. He's going to get down off that cross and we're going to go exactly as we all envisioned this to happen. But it didn't happen. He died. I think when we see it this way, most of us can understand why Thomas would say what he said in verse 25. Verse 25, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails... Listen to this. And not only see it, but I got, I'm going to have to place my finger into that mark of the nails. Want to see it? I want to put my finger in, in it and place my hand into His side. I will never believe. Never believe. Some things I think are just best, said, or best done unsaid. We see a frustration... We see a hurt. We see a devastation being verbalized by this man, Thomas. We've often said things when, when dismay takes place in our life. We too often verbalize things that we shouldn't be saying. Thomas wasn't any different than us. It's like those of you when you fall in love for someone, you you fall hard in love. You you go all the way with it, man. When you when you fall for someone, you fall hard for them. And when that person that you loved so much, it may it may have happened in your life, uh, when they fall short and break your heart, you tend to be very cautious in letting yourself love someone like that again. Most times when someone crushes you like that, it, let's talk about a relationship. When someone crushes your heart in relationship, you, you always tend to be very cautious. And who pays the cost for that person hurting you is the next relationship that you get into. There's distrust. The distrust you don't trust them always skeptical about everything that happens always any little word just sends you on a sends you on an emotional roller coaster when you love hard and they break your heart man it causes you to be very cautious because of the skeptical side of thomas thomas struggled more than the others did in his willingness to believe that the lord had Exactly had risen as he said. This is what happened. This is why Thomas made those remarks. Wait a minute man. I'm, I'm just barely getting over this. And now you guys are going to stir the pot again of my emotions. And tell me that you saw him. Where is he at? Why is he playing hide and seek with us? I haven't seen him. These are real emotions. These are real thoughts. And knowing what we know about this man, Thomas, it's very understandable for him to respond the way he responded. Let's not overlook this one fact here. When Thomas made this statement, unless I see it and feel it, I'm never going to believe. Let's not forget, this man, Thomas, he, he witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus. He saw it with his own two eyes. He knew Lazarus was dead, he knew he was in the grave, and he witnessed the raising of Lazarus from the dead. He personally saw it. He personally heard the Lord's promise to them that he would rise in three days. He was there when Jesus was explaining these things to them. He heard it. He saw all the miracles that Jesus performed. He was there. He saw all this personally. But even though he saw one of the greatest miracles that man had ever seen was raising a man from the dead, not even counting the other miracles that were shown and witnessed, yet this man struggled to believe that Christ had risen. Put that in your memory bank. Record that. He saw all these things. He had to have heard and remembered, Jesus said, I'm going to rise again. But yet when his companions came and told him, he he wanted to believe, I'm sure. But he wasn't going to get himself in the rut that he was trying to dig. He wasn't going to get disappointed again by letting his emotions of the excitement get the best of him. He says, no, wait a minute. Unless I see him myself, and I only see him. I've got to know that it was the one that was on that cross. Unless I touch those wounds, I'm never going to believe. This shows us that even the best of men are subject to unbelief. Even the best of men are subject to questions. They're subject to uncertainties. Listen, it's okay to admit that sometimes you go through the hallways of doubt on our ways to the rooms of truth in Scripture. It's okay to admit. It's okay to come to grips that, you know what I have, I really don't believe that yet. I. You're not abnormal as a Christian if you have periods of doubt. I can remember one of the, one of the most devastating moments in this Christian walk. <laughs> didn't, it didn't add up. I doubt. I never thought that I... Throughout, and I've been walking with the Lord for a lot of years and I never once would ever thought that I would question Him. I did question them. Even had doubts that if what are we even doing? Why are we even here? It's okay. Listen, if you're ever given the notion to think for a minute that you it must be an, a good indication of my faith if I never if I never question anything that that is read or that is taught from the pulpit. Uh, uh, If I never question anything concerning the teaching of God's word, then that must be a good sign that I've got good faith. That might not necessarily be the case. If you really never deal with the seasons of doubt in your life, if you never really deal with them, you would probably, you most likely will live a Christian life that just learns to accept what everybody else's answer is. If you never truly, if, you, if you've got some uncertainty concerning the things of God in your Christian walk, if you've got areas of uncertainty when it comes to the areas of salvation, You've got to deal with those. You've got to really, listen, don't ever just, don't think that, oh, why, uh, uh, it's evil that I'm doubt, no, it's okay. You've got to deal with it and get into the scripture, which is the source of our faith. I'm getting ahead of myself, but let's, let's go on through this. You know, because too many, I'm, I'm going to get on a little soapbox here for a minute. Too many times Christians, they walk through the doors of churches throughout this city of ours, throughout this nation of ours, they walk through the doors and they never question a word. They think because someone opens this word and reads a portion of scripture that it must be true. Uh, it would be evil of me to question what, what is being taught. When we do things like that, when we don't question, we never really get to get become on. We never really to get to a point where we're honestly believing the truths of Scripture on our own. You've got to know it on your own. That this is why Jesus Jesus says, who, "Who are they saying I am?" Well, they're saying you're this, you're saying you're that. You're, but no, no, wait. Who are you saying that I am? Well, this and no, this is what you're hearing. Who do you say that I am? You've got, I'm telling you, faith to overcome that doubt and to have a solid faith. It's got to come from within, inside of you. That's revealed to you by the Spirit from Scripture. If you think about it, for some of you in this room today, it it is exactly what led you to truth. By having doubts, by having questions, by having uncertainties, it's what exactly led you to truth. It's what, what caused you to start asking the hard questions that you were brought up to believe to be true. You started not to numb those doubts, but you let those doubts rise up. And you let those questions rise up. And you begin to have doubts of the things that you were just brought up to believe were so. So we see this. We see Thomas saying, unless I see it, man, I'm never going to believe Walked with Jesus, saw Jesus, touched Jesus, ate with Jesus. Knew, he, knew the character of his disciples, knew there were men of integrity, men of honor that would walk side by side with him, with his Lord and hearing their report. He believed them. But he's very skeptic about it. Wanted to believe it. Wanted to enjoy in the joyous moment of our Lord has risen. But he wanted to make sure he he had that doubt. The following eight days were a long, lonely eight days. I bet for this man Thomas, it was seven days. Here we find ourselves in verse twenty-six on the next Sabbath, where they were gathered together. Verse. Let's go back to John twenty, verse twenty-six. Eight days later, his disciples were in sight again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. We see Jesus meets with them again. But this time it was particularly, we're going to see, for, for Thomas. It was particularly for Thomas. He, he stood away eight days. He appeared and we see that in, other, in the synoptic gospels we see where Jesus appeared so many times. And, but for the group, eight days later he showed up again. And again it's, it records that the doors were locked. This detail once again, John points out through the spirit of God, he wants to emphasize the supernatural characteristics characteristics of the resurrected body of Jesus. It makes this mention, and he says, "Peace be with you, same salutation how you know, how patient and how tender is our is the love of our God for what we, what I want to call a gloomy." And slow believer as Thomas. We see his love. We see his mercy. We see his his grace. Once again, doesn't come with a rebuke. Think about this. They said, Thomas, our Savior had risen. And Thomas basically said, I don't believe you. Unless what a material materialistic answer. Unless I see him and touch him, I'm not going to believe. And let God. Unless you split the sky open and cause a a, a ray of light to shine down and burn this table up, I'm not going to believe you. Man, how bad that sounds. This ought to be encouragement. Listen, you're not. And we have these little doubts. You look at. You're not abnormal. It's okay. Our Lord and Savior is gracious with us and patient with us. We don't see a rebuke. We don't see an excommunication of Thomas from the group. We see a loving Lord come and say peace the same way He addressed the ten that were there. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Verse 28. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. The gracious omissions of our Lord. Knew exactly what Thomas had uh, verbally communicated. Knew exactly what was running. Thomas didn't have to. He came right up to him. In all of his doubt. In all of his unbelief. He came right up to him. And here. Put your finger here. Put your hand in my... That's That's a significant detail. That wound must have been a huge wound. He says, put your hand in it. The suffering that our Lord suffered on Calvary just wasn't a little poke wound. It was a slash that was massive enough for this man to put his hand into as Jesus wanted him to. And we see at that very moment, we see Thomas jump out of the mire of doubt. And we see him immediately jump on the rock of confidence when his Lord comes to him like this. Jesus, listen, Eight days later, eight days, Jesus know, he knows exactly how and he knows exactly when to effectively reach us in our time of doubt. In your time of struggle, Jesus knows exactly when and exactly how to reach you. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're in doubt with, whatever—if you ever have thought like this guy has thought plenty of times—Jesus is not supposed to be like this. I don't. We don't do what we do and 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 all this for this. What? It's not supposed to end up like this. All the doubt, all the struggle that he was having to fully believe that his Lord had risen, that was in Thomas, it immediately evaporated upon the presence of his Lord. There's some that would say that he, would, he never, in scripture, I, we most would agree he never—he didn't have to do the act of touching and feeling. As soon as he saw his Lord and hear, heard his voice, he got, it bogged him down to his knees. We see as, as soon as our Lord showed up and came directly to Thomas and didn't rebuke him but had an act of grace and an act of love to this man to assure him I have risen. We see, there was tears of repentance and worship that came upon Thomas as he dropped to his knees. He dropped to his knees and he made the, he made the exclamation of my Lord and my God. This just wasn't a statement that just came out. This was a, a, a showing of the heart and how Jesus showing up, just as He has showed up in our life. He gave the term, the "My Lord and my God," this term that, that Thomas gave. It's referring to a Greek translation of the divine name of Yahweh that we see in the Old Testament. This is the term that He gave. He was referring to Him not only as Lord, but as God. And how, listen, understand this. We, we see, oh my God, how bad Tom, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done what Thomas did. I, I would have never said, Lord, you've got to show me a sign or I'm not going to believe you. How dare he, man of such little faith. We see how the mar- how marvelous God is and how marvelous the works of divine grace is upon those that he's chosen. We see this, how this Thomas, that was the one that was so slow to believe, He ended up being the one that gave the most conclusive testimony of the absolute deity of Christ that had ever come from the lips of man. This man that was slow to believe. This man that had doubted his own Lord's resurrection. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me, yet have believed. He says, you believe because you have seen me. That's good. That's a good thing. Thomas, you've seen me, now you believe. And then Jesus says, those who have not seen and yet believe. Thomas, that's even better. You see me and believe, that's good. But blessed are those who believe and haven't seen me. That is this group here. That's even better. This was a reminder. The statement that I mean was a reminder to Thomas that his assurance of faith was prompted by an outward sign. He was giving Thomas a truth here. Thomas, you believe because you've seen. This was your assurance of faith was prompted by an outward sign and it was appealing to the sight of man. But this also serves as a warning to the modern day cravings that the church has acquired for signs. Some of you know this very well. Christian believers that are professing believers that are always hungry for signs and think that God does not show up unless, and the Spirit of God does not show up unless He starts to move with miracles. Things that we can see. This kind of, this is a warning for that. The blessing isn't believing because you see a sign. The blessing is believing when you haven't seen. Because when you see a sign, look, at this just feeds the materialistic hunger of the flesh that is always craving physical assurances. That's right. Amen. The flesh, flesh craves that assurance. If you're God, then you're going to make sure I have a good job. If you're God, you're going to make sure I have a nice home. If you're God, you're going to make sure that I'm comfortable. and I'm... The flesh craves those things. So verse 29 for us here today is for us to come to faith in Jesus as more than just a miracle worker. Christ is much more than just a mere miracle worker. He is the incarnate Word of God. He is the great I Am. He is your end all. And through believing this, we find life in Him and in Him alone. Well, Jesus is obviously commending Thomas of his faith. He's not downplaying Thomas. Thomas, you believe me because you have seen me. That is good. And he's commending him for that. But he blesses those who will come to belief through the witness of the disciples. Thomas, you have believed because you've seen me. But those that are going to believe because of the word of the testimony that I'm about to empower you to go serve as your purpose in life, those people that believe are even more blessed because they have not seen. In which introduces the reason for the writing of this gospel. Let's read on. Verse number 30. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. We know through Scripture, and and, and it's making it plain and clear right here, in verse 30, that there were other signs that the Savior gave uh, to the eleven. And He gave these signs that, that proved that He had risen from the dead. Many other signs, but the Holy Spirit didn't move John to record all of them. We know that there wouldn't be room in this book to record everything that Jesus did, but concerning his resurrection, the the Spirit of God led John to, to record the things that he did in this book, specifically the book of John. This is what he's writing. There's other miracles that are written in other books. This is also showing a cohesiveness and understanding that there's other eyewitnesses that God was writing his infallible word uh, in, in, in not just one specific book. But John was saying hey, there's other miracles that are recorded, but but not in this book that I'm writing, not in this letter that I'm writing. So the Spirit of God led him to record what's recorded, what we have been covering in the Gospel of John. The Spirit of God led him just to record those miracles. We see that the other miracles or the other signs were recorded primarily in the Synoptic Gospels. This is where we see the majority of them. But now, for those that, for, for those that are within the sound of my voice today, as, the, as John recorded that these miracles that I wrote down, these assurances of faith that I have recorded that were shown to the disciples to assure them that Jesus had risen, those of you here that are listening, those of you that are here that have been sitting under this gospel, maybe you're listening in, a, in another day via podcast and you're listening. The purpose Of what this book was written? Has it fulfilled its purpose in your life? Has it been an assurance of any doubt? Any doubt that maybe you have been experiencing? Maybe there's been doubt in your confession. Maybe there's been doubt in you responding to the call of God when He awakened you. Has it led you to believe in Christ? Has it led you to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God? Has it built up your faith? Has it shored it up? Knowing that by believing... Believing in this word and believing on Christ is who we claim to be that now you have life in His name. You must be assured of that. And if you're not, why not? Why aren't you assured? I pray that God will grant you the grace to answer that question. It is, we know that it is the written revelation in which God has given in His Word concerning His Son. Yes, yes, yes. It brings forth faith. Yes. It brings forth faith in the one that is life Himself, Amen. which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we glorify You this morning. for the grafted word that leads men and women to faith in Christ. Father, the most wonderful thing in these passages we read is Christ. Father, we saw in your dealings that with this doubt of Thomas, Father, that you came to him. You're the one that came to Thomas. But we read you didn't come right away, Father. You let Thomas wrestle with his unbelief for a little bit. And Father, I believe that it exposed a weakness in Thomas's faith to himself. It made him think hard about what he believed, I'm sure, and why? It had to have made him more desperate. It had to have made him more humble, Father. And we know when the time was right that your loving kindness for him your loving kindness for those that you've called your own you rescued Thomas from his doubt. For those that may be somewhat doubtful right now those that are listening to the words of this sinful man you may be hearing these words on behalf of the elders and on behalf of the congregation of your house, we pray that you will remove that doubt. That your people would put all their faith and trust in you for the salvation of their souls. That they would not continue, Father, in disbelief. But, Father, that they would believe in your word which leads them into repentance. We pray that in your son's name.